Now, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a guy today who had some of the same problems that Mr. Bean had in that clip there. But uh, I got, if this does happen to be a problem of yours, if, if staying awake in class or school or, or church or whatever is a problem for you, I got three pictures here that could possibly help you. Uh, three ways to make it look good. First one is a famous one from the Saturday Evening Post. Just fold your hands. If you do the folding the hands thing, you're good to go because it looks like you're praying. Of course, then when, the, when they come around asking for the offering, you're deep in prayer or something. I don't know, but that's, that's a good way. The second way is, this is a classic one, have a child. Have a child with you, and then it looks like you are just enjoying and basking in the child, or perhaps humming a lullaby so this child goes to sleep. But the best one, and that's one I think, you know, as hope has gotten a little bit more crowded, it might be a little more difficult, but the best one is just to give up, like this dude. Just give up, <laughs> and uh, just give up and, and, and go ahead and, and be cozy. When I was in college, uh, I took courses at the University of Minnesota, and I remember taking a psych class. I think there were a thousand people in this psych class. And when I was at the U, this particular class, the first week a guy came up, that's significant, a guy came up and said, welcome to Psychology 1001 at the University of Minnesota. Just to let you know, the University of Minnesota is one of the most uh, proficient and, and uh, they have the biggest experts in the world in the whole area of psychology. But we can't get them to come to this class, so what we did is we videotaped every one of them. A thousand people were watching movies. And these are the old click, 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 click movies, you know, where everything's a little bit off and the whole thing. We're watching movies hour, hour and a half at a time. That's what this class consisted of. And it, I had this fear in college, and it finally happened in Psych 1001. Fall asleep. Wake up, it's the next class. <laughs> huh? Anybody been there? <laughs> now, it's not too bad when it's a big room like that. So it was payback time. When I was a teacher in Eden Prairie, I used to teach math. One of my kids fell asleep, and I just went, shh, shh. We all left the room. <laughs> Looked in through the window. Wait, the kid kind of stirred. That kid never fell asleep in my class again, huh? <laughs> We're going to meet someone today who has a hard time staying awake when Paul is preaching. Man, does that give me encouragement. If Apostle Paul is preaching and a dude sleeps, take a nap. I feel fine. <clears throat> Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 20. We... Uh, we are in a series right now called The Church on Fire. Uh, we'll finish this series by the time I'm done with sabbatical. Hamlet and Cor will uh, be doing the, the preaching during those times. And uh, I'll finish up with one, one more sermon next week. And then they'll finish up the book of Acts by the end of August. Or even if things go, as, no, excuse me, the middle of July, if things go according to plan. If not, all the way to the end of July, somewhere in there, uh, we'll be done uh, with that. And I can give you a little little tease. I think I'll give it, even though if you're at the retreat, you, you heard, because Jeff dodged a little out of the, 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 the bag here, but we're going to do the Gospel of John next, and we'll be in that nine years. So <laughs> if it took us two years to get through Acts, it might take us a little while to get through. We're in Acts chapter 20, and just I want to give you, just to refresh your memory of what's going on, in Acts chapter 19, Paul finally gets to the city he wanted to get to before and stay there. It's Ephesus. He wanted to get to this city in Asia called Ephesus. He's very excited to be there. And God's doing incredible things 
in Paul's life and in his ministry at Ephesus. It says in verse 11 of chapter 19 that uh, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I love that phrase, extraordinary miracles. These are not the boring ones. These are the extraordinary ones. Ha <laughs> ha, that's a joke. But, and, it, and there's just amazing things that were happening. Um, one of the things that happened was there was these seven sons of Skeva, if you remember them. They wanted to use the name, they wanted to exploit the name of Jesus for their, for their uh, business. They had a, a, um, a uh, thank you, exorcist for hire business. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and they were exorcists and they just decided, hey, this Jesus thing seems to be working for Paul. So they come around, they say, in the name of of Jesus, who Paul preaches and who I don't have any idea who he is, but in that name, come out of him. And, and the demon would say to the, to the person, Paul, I've heard of, and Jesus I know, but who are you? In fact, one time he overpowers them and beats them up to a pulp, and it's a really great story. I commend it to you. It's really fun. <laughs> then, what happens as a result of that, that because of that scene with those seven sons of Sceva is Throughout the region, it starts to spread what's going on in Ephesus, and more and more people start turning to Christ, and more and more interested in what Paul's doing there, and Paul's got a team of people he's a part of, and it says in verse 20, in, the, in this way, the word of the Lord spread wildly and grew in power. After all this happened, verse, we're getting to chapter 20, I'm just giving you a little bit of recap in case you were... Not here. Uh, in verse 21 says, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, now, we didn't deal with this at the retreat, and I'll get to what we deal with the retreat in just a minute, but why does Paul want to go to Jerusalem? And there's a reason for it. It's very important. And the interesting thing is it's not really mentioned in Acts. It's a little bit here. You have to kind of look at some of Paul's other writings. What's really cool is if, you're, if you've been following along, Paul's other letters kind of fit in here. First and Second Corinthians fit right in here. What we're going to talk about today, he's going to go over to Corinth and stay there three months. That's probably where he wrote the book of Romans. I mean, it all kind of fits in here, so it's right along the same timeline. There's a situation that has happened. We saw it in Acts chapter 11. You can just stay at Acts chapter 20 if you want. Acts chapter 11, verse 27 says, During this time... Some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So what's going on here is there is... A, a famine happening in Jerusalem and all these other, uh, I'll give it for you, Jerusalem, and then for all these other regions around here, they're going to take a collection up and bring it to the Jerusalem Jews. This is hugely important to Paul. He lists it in a lot of his writings. In, Acts, in Gen uh, get it. Galatians 2, he talks about this, and they, they said to him, all that they asked, this is Paul speaking about what the, uh, the apostles were asking him to do, all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor. Not just any poor, but the poor now in Jerusalem because this famine's happening. The very thing I was eager to do. In 1 Corinthians, his letter to them, he writes, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian church churches to do. On the first day of every week, each, of you, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. This is really big. He's not just going to take their money. He's going to take people from all these churches. And there's, it's not just help financially. It is that, but there's much more happening. Remember, there's this tension going on between people who are Jewish and people who are now becoming Christians and just totally bypassed having to become a Jew. And so Paul, in an effort to show unity, he's going to get not all their money, but he's going to take people from all these different churches and he's going to bring them, parade them right down to Jerusalem. In Romans, he says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia, Macedonia would be the regions of Philippi and, and that whole area up in there, and then Achaia would be uh, Corinth. I think that includes uh, Athens, that whole place. We're pleased to make a contrib... What is with my mouth today? Contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. And the only time we hear about it in the book of Acts is Acts 24, which is coming up in you know, a few weeks, but Acts chapter 24, Paul actually is recounting what had happened. We don't actually, Luke doesn't just give us the event. He gives us Paul's recount of the event in Acts 24, Verse 17, it says, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. That's what's going on. That's where he's finally trying to get to. He's trying to get to Jerusalem and to make this big presentation of money and of people. Okay? Then, if you're following along Acts 19, after this whole decision that he wants to go to Jerusalem, he hasn't left yet. He starts to send some people, all that kind of thing. This riot breaks out. In Ephesus, this huge mob meet in this theater and they start chanting, great is the God Artemis, great is the God Artemis. For two solid hours, there's just riot happening. We talked about this at the retreat saying, what was Paul thinking? We don't know. It's not written. But I got to imagine that he was thinking, hearing these chants in the, in the distance because they would not allow him to go there, but they think he's going to be ripped to pieces. Is it worth it? Gosh, it's one thing after another. Is this worth it? And you've probably been there too. Is it worth it? Is it worth, like the song we sang, I think the opening song today, Unashamed, is it worth living a holy life? In other words, there's a lot of things that look fun to do. Is it worth bypassing those? Is it worth the pain of being involved in other people's lives? Is it worth it? The answer Paul comes to is, yes, it is worth it. I don't, know, I don't know where you're at in this room. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know where you're at in your journey. You might be at a point where you're just kicking the tires of Christianity, checking it out. Let me encourage you with something. The Christian life is sweet. It is awesome. You get to know personally. You get to know the God of the universe and that this God loved you enough that he would send his son to die on your behalf so that by his death on the cross, it would pay the penalty for what you did. That is sweet. But it is not easy. Anyone ever says that it's easy, that is, that is a load of it. It is not easy. It is much, much easier to just live a happy-go-lucky, don't worry about anything life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are choosing a harder life. You're choosing a richer life. You're choosing a sweeter life. 
but you're choosing a hard life. If you're deciding a marriage to make that marriage really work, you really want your marriage to work, you want to work on your marriage, every guy in the room goes, yes, that's what I really want. (laughs) Um, You're deciding to have a richer marriage, and it is going to be sweeter. But you know what? It's going to come at a cost. Because most women I know are very brutally honest with your weaknesses. They all email me, guys, with your weaknesses. <laughs> but if you want that kind of marriage, it's going to come at a cost. If you want that kind of walk with God, it's going to come at a cost, and it does. And Paul says it's worth it, and I, I, I reiterate to you, it is worth it. Okay, we're finally in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. They're going to kind of divide this into two chunks, and we'll uh, just make a few comments along the way. This thing basically says it's, uh, preaches itself. When the uproar had ended, after this big riot, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. Now, Paul has been in Ephesus for 27 months. He has been seriously blessed by these people. He has, his heart is there. So even though it's just one sentence, I want you to get in your mind's eye this beautiful picture of Paul. And what does he do? He encourages them. We're going to see that word encouragement three times in the first 12 verses. One time it's translated as comforts them or, or, or makes them feel good. And it's seen as one where, where, where the encouragement, you can just see Paul looking them in the eyes and encouraging them, saying, I believe in you. Keep going. Keep going. Verse 2, he traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed Three months. Now, for whatever reason, Luke does not talk about the big detour that he does. Uh, there's a big detour that he does. Why don't you go to the map, the next one, I think, there. Are we good? Next one? Uh, Johnny? There we go. Um, he's in. Now, did I do it again? This thing was working great, and now it's not working great. Huh. Why do you like that? Hmm. Now I'm just blind my... <laughs> Oh, great. Well, you can see where Ephesus is there. This thing is, huh, worked this morning. Uh, you see where Ephesus is, and he's going to get all the way over to where Corinth is. But he takes this, this route. We'll see exactly why he takes that route. But part of it is, if you read from 2 Corinthians, which my Bible said is going through 2 Corinthians, he's going to take this detour through Troas because of some conflict he's having in Corinth. And, and Corinth is an interesting place, to say the least. There, there's some strained relationships there between Paul and the church in Corinth. And so he's going to make, make this route. Because, we'll go back to verse 3 then. <clears throat> he stays there three months, finally when he gets down to Greece or the area of Corinth. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to set sail back to Antioch, to Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So he's going to go back up again instead of sailing straight across. He was accompanied by these people. Sopater from Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus from uh, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. I will give a shiny silver dollar to anybody who can tell me what's really interesting about that list. <laughs> the ante is up. <laughs> <clears throat> I, had, I found this in a book, so hey. <laughs> Paul has, anybody? Last chance? Going once? No? Usually it's just a shiny dime. Paul has every region covered except 
Now, no, no more dollars here. Again, except what? He's got, he's got Derbe, he's got Philippi. Maybe you need the map there to see it. He's got all these different things. Nobody from Corinth. Nobody from Corinth. He's got, he's got the he's Ephesus, the Asia area. He's got the Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, but nobody from Corinth. Now, we don't know why. It's just, you know, it doesn't say why. But if you read 2 Corinthians, and if you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which often we talk about it's a great giving chapter, Paul had to really preach it up about giving to them. Because they weren't too excited about it. And I don't, we don't know exactly how this worked out, but we know that nobody came. Verse 5, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bed. This is the first time that it's mentioned that Christians met on the first day of the week. The Jewish tradition was to meet on the Sabbath, Saturday. And here it talks about they're going to meet on the first day of the week. It's mentioned a few other times. 1 Corinthians it's mentioned. It's mentioned at the end of the book of John. It's also mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, where, where John says, on the Lord's day I was taken up into the Spirit. So that's referring to, to Sunday. For sure by the uh, early, one of the first documents we have of the early church, they talk about meeting on the day of the resurrection. Every week, when you, you know why you do that? You come together on Sunday? You're celebrating Easter Sunday every, every week. I bet you didn't know that, huh? Oh, what a deal. Learn something. So, now, this is going to be significant. We don't know exactly how they count. Okay? So this meeting, if, the, the, if it was a Jewish way of thinking, if the meeting would have started, uh, Jews said that at sundown the next day began. So Sunday would begin at, you know, 6 o'clock Saturday night in our mindset, and then that would become that way. If it's a Roman way of thinking, the Roman calendar, it was midnight. So this meeting that they're going to have, it's either long or really long. We don't know which, but either way it is for sure, we're sure long. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Okay, so it either started somewhere in the afternoon on Sunday and went, whoop, all that light, really long, or it was 6 o'clock till midnight, just a long meeting. There, was, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I praise God for those last three words, huh? <laughs> on and on, man. That's, 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 I'm just practicing the Bible when you guys think I go along. The only person I give permission on a Sunday to give me any kind of feedback on my sermons is my wife. On a Sunday, it's my fresh little baby. Monday, you can call, you can email, whatever. Just hamlet at hopecc.com is my email. <laughs> but Carol, I said, you know, was that one a little bit long? You know, I felt like going a little bit long. She went, oh, no, 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 it wasn't long. There were a lot of words, though. That's what she said. <laughs> How to let a guy down easy, you know? <laughs> oh, no, you said him real fast, though. But there was a lot of words. I don't know. That was great. <laughs> Paul goes on and on, and this guy is Mr. Beaning out. But he's doing it by a window, by an open window. When he was sound asleep, 
He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. (laughs) What are you laughing about, Timmer? (laughs) Now, there's a little application point here. (laughs) If you're sleepy, get out of the front row of that balcony, please. I mean, Jesse mentioned that to me. He said, yeah, we're going to have a little application here from the people in the front row. You really could come crashing down. That would that'd be interesting. Anybody care to be a little case in point illustration? No? <laughs> By the way, if you have any, uh, any, any form of a fear of heights, I wouldn't stand in that front row either. It's that, that the little railing there hits you right, right there. <clears throat> Back in the day when people were three feet tall or something, it must have <laughs> must have been fine, but... Now, I want to cut Eutychus some slack because this meeting's went on a long time. You know, and the, the poor dude's got his name in the Bible. It's not just some young guy. It's Eutychus. It's, you know, it's, it's John, you're asleep. And I think Luke's cutting him some slack too. You notice this thing? Otherwise, otherwise this uh, verse here, it says, where is it? It's there. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Window on the window before the window. There, verse 8. Uh, verse 8 makes no sense. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Now, this is just a sanctified guess. But I think, I really do, that either the lamp sucked all the oxygen out of the room, <laughs> or they were doing that flickering thing, you know? And they were just, whoa, check out the lamp. I think that's why verse 8's there. Otherwise, I have no idea why. Paul says, there are lamps in the room. There's another possible solution. It was warm. That's beautiful. It was warm, no oxygen, flickery thing. (laughs) That's the case. Do not sit by an open window, okay? All right. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and then said, Don't be alarmed. This is to other people. He's not saying it to him because he ain't alarmed right now. (laughs) Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Now, he was dead. He was dead dead. Not mostly dead. (laughs) He was dead. Luke, the author of Acts, is a doctor. Luke knew dead. This guy's dead. Paul throws his arms on him, and he comes up, he comes up alive. Now, this is so cool. This is, this is so cool. Verse 11, then he, Paul, went upstairs again, broke bread, and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, why do I think that's so great? I don't know about you, but if someone were to fall from the balcony and, and, uh, and Lance here were to jump on him and say, Whoa! It's all good! He's alive! Would we go to the next thing we were planning in the service? <laughs> you know? 
when these people met, they just expected God to show up. It's like part of the order of worship. Going to do the communion thing. We'll light the candles when it gets dark. Get the oxygen flicker thing going. Then we'll have a prayer, table prayer. And then a dude's going to fall from the window. We're going to heal him from the dead. After that, we'll take an offering. <laughs> That's just the way their meetings went. They expected God to meet them like that. I got two questions as I close for you this morning. Number one, the word encouragement is listed three times in here. Paul's going, uh, when he leaves Ephesus, he encourages them. When he goes to those regions, he, in, he encourages all those people. And the third thing it says is after this person was dead, they were greatly comforted. They were greatly encouraged. That's kind of what goes without saying. But yes, of course. The question I have for you is, do you view your mission in life as to be a builder up in other people's lives? Do you have a, a mission, like Paul said, to be an encouragement? The other question I have as I close is when you come to worship or when you come to read your Bible or when you go to small group or when you meet with Christian friends or when you pray, do you expect God to show up like that? You, you expect him to have a God who can do anything that doesn't deny himself. He can, he can... Let's pray. God, I love Eutychus. I look forward to talking with him in heaven and seeing what it was like to sit under Paul's teaching and to being the guy. I'm sure he's got a sense of humor about this. It falls out a window. God, by your spirit, would you do things in our lives that we live as people who are just like Paul. We live with a mission to encourage people wherever they're at in their journey with you, if they don't have an opportunity to know you yet, that we'd encourage them. We'd do whatever it takes to encourage them, to seek you, to know you, to, as your Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, that we'd invite them to be part of our lives so that they could taste and see. Lord, I also pray that we'd be people who, who believe in an awesome, miracle-working promise-keeping God who has promised to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. God, that it wouldn't be the big surprise. It wasn't a surprise to Paul. He just kept on going. He kept teaching theology 101 up there. God, would we do that? Would you work in our lives that it's just part of our daily life that you just intervene in us? Lord, in this room I know that right now there are people who need you perhaps not to be waked from the dead, but there are areas and there are situations where they need your touch. Holy Spirit, by your power and your, your freedom, and of course by the healing work that you can do, I pray that you'd do that even now, even as we close in these last songs. You'd come and do your work. Be amongst us, God. Make us hungry for you. Pray in Jesus' name.